Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Today, nearly 40 million Americans are living with type 2 diabetes, which is more than a 40% increase from just a decade ago. Black, Hispanic, American Indian, and Alaskan Native adults are much more likely than non-Hispanic white adults to develop diabetes and to die from the disease. Even as there have been important medical advances associated with diabetes, the burden of the disease continues to climb. How can we address the growing burden of diabetes? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Podacy. I'm here with Muhammad Ali, William H. Fagey, Distinguished Professor of Global Health and Co-Director of the Emory Global Diabetes Research Center at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University. Dr. Ali and co-authors published the overview paper on diabetes in the July 2022 issue of Health Affairs. They report that the fragmented healthcare system in the United States is a primary reason for our poor diabetes outcomes and high levels of inequity. We'll discuss this and more during today's episode. Dr. Ali, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Alan. Really appreciate being here and the opportunity. I appreciate you joining us. And before we begin, I do want to acknowledge not only did you write the overview paper, you were the advisor for the set of papers, you were a moderator and lead participant in an event we just had on the subject. Uh, You have given much to health affairs, and we're very appreciative of that. I, I want to start with what may seem like sort of a silly question, but why should we pay so much attention to diabetes? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. So, For all the reasons you've already outlined, Alan, uh, it's a major issue. It affects 12% of Americans. So it is a, you know, it's prevalent, it's common. It's also incredibly costly. You know, the healthcare in general, or, or, or health in general, I should say, is associated with $4 trillion uh, as part of this economy. And one-tenth of that is diabetes-related costs. So it's just a very common issue. It's a very costly issue. And for all the reasons uh, you mentioned earlier, we haven't seen any progress in diabetes. And in fact, we're seeing deep disparities. We're seeing a plateauing of progress in terms of care and prevention. And after two decades of declines in diabetes-related complications like heart attacks, strokes, kidney disease requiring dialysis and transplant, and amputations and blindness, we're now seeing an uptick in all of those complication rates, largely because of this this plateauing. And certainly the disparities are leading those complications to be felt in the most vulnerable groups in our community. So for all of those reasons, I think we really need to care about this and we really need to act. When you uh, wrote the overview paper, you described fragmentation as sort of the the basis for our poor outcomes. Now, we publish a lot on health care and health policy, and I'd say fragmentation shows up, you know, in almost every other paper because our system is so fragmented. So this is a problem not unique to diabetes, but it does seem like it has particularly negative effects when it comes to people with diabetes. I wonder if you could help me understand, when you say fragmentation in the paper, what are the aspects of the American health system 
uh, as related to fragmentation that make outcomes what they are when it comes to diabetes? So as you correctly point out, we talk about fragmentation a lot, and I want to clarify that we've spoken in this overview piece very much about healthcare and policy. There are a myriad of other sort of factors outside healthcare and health policy, which include sort of how we eat, how we live, how we move or don't move in, in the case of a lot of Americans, that does increase our risk. There are broader societal issues, structural racism, how we produce food, how we access those foods that are not talked about in this paper. We really stayed within healthcare and health policy. So just to reference, uh, importantly, that within the series, um, what was really nice to see was uh, a paper by Leonard Aguede uh, at the University of Wisconsin, Medical College of Wisconsin, I should say, on non-medical interventions. And so that is referenced there. But again, coming back to us, we stayed within healthcare and health policy. And it, it's a difficult issue fragmentation to define because there is no one uniform definition. We used essentially a working definition through various sources that states that fragmentation is siloed or heterogeneous health services that occur because of the lack of unified goals policies and incentives, and information across stakeholders. And so that's the way we frame the issue. And if I may, if you could give me a little bit of leeway, I'd like to use the analogy of um, American football. And for example, something like the National Football League, although I don't want to malign them in this way necessarily, for how we think about this fragmentation issue. So you can imagine... Um, the league are the public and private payers for health and well-being. They set the rules. Within them, there are conferences and divisions that are different payer types. The audience are consumers of healthcare and people with diabetes or people who are at risk of diabetes. And I should say, I didn't say it earlier, but 40 million people are affected by diabetes, but an additional 96 million people have what we call pre-diabetes. In other words, their blood sugar hasn't yet reach the threshold for diagnosis, but they're at high risk. And in a three to five year period, 20 to 50% of them will convert to having diabetes. Going back to my analogy, the owners of the team are the health systems who want larger audiences, as you can imagine. And then we have the players. We have primary care docs who are the quarterbacks who can see the whole field. They know the plays and they know what it takes to coordinate and navigate care for people depending on the disease they have, the severity, and the risk of a blitz. There are other players who are all specialists, each with a defined role and value add. And then there are coaches who are academics, largely, or think tanks, who study plays, who study the policies, the delivery, the workforce needs, and recruit and guide the team to do well. And so if you think about this analogy, we have incredible fragmentation, as I mentioned, a lack of unified goals, lack of unified policies, incentives, and information. And you could think of it especially in three different ways as we've outlined in our paper, which is to say there's fragmentation right up at the level of policy in terms of the rules the league and the divisions and conferences subject different teams to follow. There's fragmentation in incentives 
both between players who all want to be the star, who all want greater volume of audience coming to them, between the leagues, who are different public and private payers who have a different goal in life to lower expenditures for the populations they serve, between the teams and the owners, who are the systems, as I mentioned, um, and even between players across systems. So you essentially have this, this incredible um, fragmentation is the only word, <laughs> this incredible misalignment of incentives across different stakeholder types. And then lastly, you have this fragmentation in information, which is to say that if a fan, an audience member, a patient, a consumer, wants to move to a different system, the health information that we currently use tends to move via faxes. And sometimes the fax never makes it there. So there's low continuity. And we've created these boundaries where our systems, the teams, the leagues, they own the data, citing proprietary issues, citing privacy. And sadly, what happens is that each of them owns a little bit. And again, that causes the boundaries where there's no continuity of information. So that's how we've conceptualized fragmentation. And the challenge is that diabetes actually requires much more consistency. It requires much more alignment of those incentives. And then thirdly, continuity of information. Well, I can safely say this is the first time we've talked football on a health policy, but I appreciate uh, your your uh, effort to give us an image here. And what it sounds is sort of like a, a, a competitive situation. People want more market share. They, they want to see their patients. They get paid when they see their patients. Um, if we could just focus for a moment on that last element, that you need a lot of different players with different roles coming together around consistent data uh, in order to give people the care they need. That really sounds like the health care side of this, as distinct as you noted at the outset from the social context side of it. This is a complicated disease to manage, it sounds like. You're exactly right. Right from the point at which one recognizes one's risk, we ask people to do behaviorally demanding things like change your lifestyle, like uh, get more active, but also come back to see us on a regular basis in healthcare to help manage that progression or slow it down to the point at which we finally diagnose people. And as you point out, it's really, uh, we are the evidence of sort of five decades worth of trials and observational data shows that we can actually slow the progression. We can actually lower the burden of amputations, kidney disease and dialysis and transplant needs and heart attacks. But it takes this very concerted effort. To some extent, you know, primary care and endocrinology are the groups that are sort of given the most amount of responsibility, as well as the most amount of credit to focus on things like blood glucose. But in reality, it's lowering the glucose, make sure the blood pressure is in control, that people are on an appropriate medication to lower cholesterol, and that they're getting their feet checked, their urine checked, making sure their, their uh, eyes are checked on a regular basis. And it just becomes an easy recipe for fragmentation because you need various players on the team to work together. Well, I'm eager to talk more about how we solve some of these problems. Uh, we'll do that after we take a short break.
And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Muhammad Ali about diabetes in the United States. Before the break, we were talking about fragmentation, but now it's time to talk about what we can do about it. Um, One of the papers in the July issue talked about quality measures, and uh, it focused, one of the claims of that paper is that our measures of quality focus very much on sort of technical effectiveness of care. It sounds like fragmentation isn't exactly related to that technical dimension. And I wonder if you could comment on the role quality measurement has played and could play in the future on improving some of the data that you've already told us is is really pretty poor right now. So one could argue that, you know, as uh, with the analogy I described of football, that we as a community, as a nation, love statistics. We love data. (laughs) And so we love to measure every yard, every sack, every component of that care we can break down. And we do the same thing with healthcare um, in that currently we use a wide variety of metrics. We traditionally measure processes. In other words, things that happened largely because they're easier to measure, but we're not measuring things like outcomes. In other words, did health get better? Did a case of diabetes get prevented? Did we prevent somebody from ending up on dialysis? And I understand the the paper by Rosalina McCoy and her colleagues at the Mayo Clinic as being, let's shift towards less of these process measures. Let's stop, quote unquote, bean counting, and let's move towards what really matters, which is to get better patient outcomes, better health for the American population. They make the argument that through a combination of reforming what measures we currently use, thinking about which ones could be sort of elevated to quote unquote public reporting, that that would help incentivize the various players, the stakeholders, I should say, across, you know, players, coaches, audience, et cetera, to really work towards together getting better health for the audience. And so I think, I think this is one of the big arguments. It is challenging. I will say operationalizing something like what Dr. McCoy and colleagues have, have indicated will take a very concerted effort. As you know, with any policymaking process, there are so many cooks that you need to decide, number one, which cooks are the most important here? And then, you know, how do we make sure that their voice gets heard and that it actually then becomes the consistent way that we think about actually measuring this and then helping it drive improvement. So to answer your question, I think it's possible, but it's an uphill climb to figure it now, out. Now, once we start talking this way, you noted at the outset your your overview paper focuses on the healthcare side of this, but it's really impossible to talk about diabetes without bringing in the social and public health side of this. Um, And since you know a lot more about diabetes than just what was the focus of your overview paper, I I do want to broaden our lens here. Let's take the dimension of equity. Is our understanding of the inequitable statistics that we have around diabetes, is that tied to the social context Is it tied to the clinical care that people receive? Uh, Is it some of each? What do we know about the 
genesis of the inequities that are so stark when it comes to diabetes? Yeah, I wish I had a, a concrete, straightforward answer for you that, yes, this is exactly what we know. Sadly, I'd say we have evidence that looks at issues of structural problems within society. And then we have separate papers that talk about sort of um, racism within patient care, uh, racism at the level of policy that basically um, leaves vulnerable populations and minorities out. And so I think, unfortunately, we have two sets of different data out there. I am not familiar with any that actually tries to break down what component of this is larger societal and what component is healthcare. But I will say that our understanding of diabetes, despite five decades of observational studies of incredible biological studies and trials, leaves us with the same exact phrase that, were that, that was always used in the 1970s and 80s, which is diabetes is a multifactorial problem. And sadly, I think, you know, accepting that is critical, addressing that much more challenging. Well, uh, so that may sound disappointing, but actually it's, uh, it's the basis then for thinking, what do we do in each of the domains where we observe problems? We talked a lot about fragmentation on the care side. Uh, in, our, in the event that you led, uh, we had a discussion about precision public health, a term that may not be familiar to everyone, but that sounds to me a little bit like an effort to, to navigate exactly what you described, which is to, to look at this multifactorial problem and come at it from both a population health dimension and from an individual clinical uh, dimension. Is this a useful term and so you're referring to the non-medical interventions paper by Dr. Leonard Agedi. So um, they did a terrific job. And I think they, what, what's interesting about that is they reviewed the sum total of the evidence. And the biggest finding, I think, was that the evidence is limited. Um, what is interesting is that in parallel, there was actually a federal effort called the National Clinical Care Commission that actually worked on a similar question. Um, and I think the finding was very similar, which is that the evidence is limited, but that diabetes needs sort of a health in all policies approach, which is to say we do need to work across everything from agriculture and how we grow food right down to sort of behaviors and policies um, at the broader level of systems to be able to address this issue. I think in, in both circumstances that I mentioned, the big take home to me is we need more evidence, but that, you know, policies and payment reform, information management approaches are slow. And they're also hard to do randomized controlled trials of. And so it really speaks to me to the importance of natural experiment research, policy research, and sort of intentionally getting both our funding agencies at the government level, but also foundations who really care about health and equity in America to really sponsor and, and promote this work. Um, I will say CDC has been a big proponent and a pioneer of diabetes policy research through two efforts. One is called the Triad Program many years ago, and then more recently, the Natural Experiments for Translation and Diabetes, or 
NextD program. And I hope that, that that is a nice sort of beacon that can help um, stimulate and, and inspire, for example, the National Institutes of Health and others to really get behind this. Well, it's an interesting point. You know, there's been uh, so much advance on the science side, but if we don't take care of the broader population health side, then that science can do only so much. I note, uh, as I said at the in the introduction, you're the director of a global research center, and if you go to your biography on the Rollins website, you, you s- describe yourself as a product of four continents, which I love that description. Um, can you offer us a little bit of global context here? Are we confronting an issue that is observed around the world? Are we approaching it uh, in a similar way or differently? H- how do we take our experience and put it in the context of the global knowledge that you have? So I think diabetes worldwide is a growing concern. Both prevalence and impacts are growing everywhere you look. I think the differences are, are the following, that as a community, as a nation, we tend to have um, a lot more focus on sort of disposable materials in our lives. And so we probably have a greater rate of obesity here than anywhere else, which is sort of driving our epidemic of diabetes much faster. I would say the other big difference or differences, I should say, are that the the way that we've structured health and health care is so reliant on the health systems and the payers that we really can't reach people and communities in the way that other countries can. And so that becomes a real big difference in how we've ended up in, in a very complex system. Um, you know, I think I was describing uh, recently to, to a colleague that we started wanting grilled shrimp and we kept tweaking, we kept tweaking, we kept adding bean counting and these and that and etc. And we ended up with a complex paella where you can't find the shrimp anymore. And so I think that's one of the big challenges in America. And then the third that's actually quite different in other countries, but then does have parallels to how we address diabetes in America, is that there are just much starker access concerns. So in much of the rest of the world, where here in the United States, 25% of our people with diabetes are undiagnosed, it's more like 50 to 75% that are undiagnosed in other countries. That where we, we are concerned about segments of our society that aren't able to get access to the newest and the best medications, there it's again, 50, you know, it's the majority of the population that can't get access to, to insulin and medications that are critical for, uh, that are life-saving, essentially. So those are the broad differences. All that to say, the, the first point I made was most concerning to me is that our trajectory of increase is possibly the largest worldwide. And were we to become a little bit more integrated and less fragmented like Scandinavian countries, I think we might be able to bend that curve a little bit. Well, and that's probably uh, the place we should uh, close. It uh, seems to me what you're describing, and I go back to your lack of alignment, is that we're, in some sense, we're asking an already fragmented healthcare system 
to solve a problem that can only be solved not only through alignment within the system, but through alignment and meeting of social needs that fall outside that system. And um, in a country where you don't have as much access to healthcare services, that social sector uh, is where you start because that's where you have the resources. Our resources are in the health sector, and it's not very well suited to addressing these complex medical problems that have origins in social inequity and in social disparities in racism. I, I, I wonder if we're almost asking the wrong part of our system to solve the diabetes problem. I would counter and say, we've got to ask somebody to, to help and we've got to start somewhere. And so, again, going back to, to our overview paper, we offer three big reforms, one to address each of these fragmentation issues to essentially address consist fragmentation and consistency, fragmentation in payment alignment, and fragmentation and continu con continuity of information. And we basically make the argument that by starting with these three, we can sort of start to set up the systems that can do it. And we have examples where this has worked, and I'll quickly run through them if that's okay. So to address consistency, we argue that there's actually a ton of evidence, five decades of it, to show what evidence-based interventions we should pay for. And almost creating that package and almost treating it like United States Preventive Services Task Force A and B recommendations, which are fully covered by every payer, we then create consistency in what people who are at risk for and who have diabetes are going to get. Second, to align the incentives, as was mentioned in, in the paper by Sabrina Wang and colleagues within the same series, there's been a lot of work on value-based insurance designs that target patients. There's been a lot of work on alternative payment models for systems and payers to really get higher value, higher quality. And if we start to do work that actually gets those two to work together, almost you know, target both, both aspects at the same time, we can get better alignment. Um, there's really you know, some good evidence around some of this working. And lastly, if we optimize health information and, and get away from every system having their own proprietary data, every payer having, having it, and we actually focus then on the patient, the audience member who gets to change team allegiance and jump between teams or jump between leagues and conferences and have their information follow them so that they just have one league login, I think you get better continuity of information. A really great example of this was some work that Kaiser Permanente Northern California did about a decade ago, focused on hypertension, which is a common chronic condition just like diabetes. They used a consistent guideline, which is your evidence-based package across all their sites. They used alignment of their workforce, so medical assistance to um, follow up and check on blood pressures more in communities. And three, information management through a registry for continuity of data. And they showed massive improvements in, in blood pressure control over sort of a five-year period, and they kept it up there in the sort of 70-80% control. So I think we have examples within the United States that we can start to use, and we need some intentionality, and we need alignment 
and more unity than fragmentation. Well, I appreciate you bringing us back to the potential here. We do have successful models. Uh, We, as in many things in healthcare, don't scale them, don't necessarily uh, sustain them as well as we should. But uh, this is not a, a story that can only have a negative outcome and and uh, I appreciate you reminding us that that there's there's a lot of positive out there in the healthcare system. We just have to look for it. Uh, Dr. Ali, thank you so much for your research, for your leadership on this topic, for helping us so much with our issue, and today for being my guest on a health policy. Thanks so much, Alan. Really appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.